Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, it's Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I am your host, Tom Sutton. Well, I guess I would like to start off by saying Star Wars is great. All right, now that we've got that out the way, let's talk about the Bad Batch. So, um... I'm not sure how many episodes have gone gone by since the last uh, last episode I recorded, but um, yeah, there's been a handful. Uh, it's been good. It's um, I think that you know I and a lot of people were a little bit um, hopeful that it would um, take an approach that was a bit more like hard hitting in each episode. Um, and I kind of, I thought there was a chance it would go in that direction just because, um, that opening 70 minute episode was like so packed with, um, really like important stuff, stuff that really contributed, uh, not just to the story of that show and those characters, but to kind of our understanding of how the whole galaxy was was changing now that the empire was uh, in control. Um, so it hasn't really continued in that way. It's been a little bit more adventure of the week since then. Um, uh, they have been drip feeding us little, uh, little, you know, bits and pieces to uh, keep the overall story kind of ticking over a little bit. Um, and you know, even though like it's it's easy to be a bit like, oh come on, let's 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 get to the meat. Um, it is an animated show. It is a show that is supposed to be like fun for kids to watch, and um, it's not Game of Thrones. And you're not going to get these like necessarily get these huge um, chunks of story or big moments every single episode. So with that in mind, um, yeah, it's been it's been good. Um, uh, the most recent episode was a really good one. Um, I just want to say, like, something that has really impressed me actually, and it was it's something that I have actually kind of wondered about ever since the Clone Wars started back in uh, two thousand eight. Um, now the look of the Clone Wars was obviously kind of dictated by the look of the prequels. And that was a much cleaner and more colorful look. Um, and I kind of wondered if it was even possible at all, you know, like because, you know, there were hints at the end of the Clone Wars that we would be seeing the, um, the Empire, you know, the, the, the Empire era or whatever. And, uh, you know, to me, a big part of the look of that era is the used universe look. And I wasn't sure they could do that in a 3D animated show. Perhaps that that uh, medium is like just like it's hard to make stuff look dirty because it's, you know, computer animation. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy to report there have been a couple of episodes in the Bad Batch, Bad Batch that look really nice and crusty. So I don't think that's going to be a concern. Um, I think 
last week's episode, they went to Corellia. Always happy to see that place. Um, and it looked, I mean, but the, I mean, Sid's bar and everything, it all looks really gritty and um, very used. And that's awesome. Um, yeah, the droid factory looked nice and rusty. And um, the most recent episode, uh, they went to this like planet where they have uh, these, they called it a starship graveyard where they basically dump these, um, you know, damaged, destroyed, or no longer in use starships. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the scrappers and the scavengers go to work on them to start pulling off everything that they, that can be sold or used again. Um, and that, yeah, again, it looked like very, uh, dirty and had a lot of character, and uh, so that's kind of nice to see. Nice. To, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Um, spoilers, if you haven't seen the episode, by the way, and you care enough to avoid spoilers, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Um, here we go. Uh, Rex turned up. Nice to see him finally. The um, the Wrecker thing with the uh, with his inhibitor chip, I, I really thought that was going to be a... Um, like a story point that was developed kind of long-term, at least on, like over this entire first season. So kind of interesting that it came to a head uh, now in episode seven. Um, I did think it was going to, I thought Wrecker was going to do something more kind of unforgivable or more um, some, something that would really uh, trouble him later, but uh, in the end, no one, no one got hurt, um, and Omega dealt with it pretty well, in a pretty healthy way. So um, yeah, it was a good episode. I liked it. Um, seeing the Martez sisters back in the episode last week was cool. Um, not my favorite arc in the Clone Wars, that's for sure. But I think you know, partly the problem was there. Uh, that it was that arc was kind of one episode too long, um, and also it just like this was the end of the Clone Wars, and the pressure was on to really make the most of that, and that definitely didn't feel like the show, <laughs> the best use of the show's time, really. Um, but that was cool. So yep, the Bad Batch is taken over nicely, and it's uh, it's good. Now, um, something that happened recently was that J.J. Abrams was getting interviewed i think by collider um regarding uh the 10th anniversary of super 8 i believe um and of course the interviewer uh, dropped in a, a bit of a question about the sequel trilogy and the kind of conversation kind of um centered around discussion kind of on, on the lack of planning uh, uh, that happened with that trilogy. Now, like if you didn't like those films, this will be very, it's very frustrating for you to hear him talk about that, I guess. And I have to say, as someone who really loves those films, it's still kind of, it's frustrating in a different way. Um, for me, it's a bit frustrating because I think they got so much right like actually like coming up with new characters that can like stand alongside Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, Lando, like 
that was I mean that's an almost in, an an almost impossible task, but they really pulled that off incredibly well. And the fact that the um, they didn't quite stick the landing because of um, not planning it out from the beginning, which I don't think you have to know almost anything about filmmaking to know is a good idea. <laughs> it's just a bit bewildering. Like even like someone who's never really put much thought into how you put together a trilogy of films. I think if you ask them like, all right, what do you, what do you reckon? What do you do first? They would say like, well, come up with the basic story, the characters uh, and sketch out what's supposed to happen over those three films. <laughs> I think most people would kind of consider that to be your, your starting point. Um, <clears throat> so it is, it's interesting to see JJ kind of like, uh, you know, in a very diplomatic and vague way, um, kind of talk about the fact that, yeah, there was, a, there were things that could have been done better basically. Um, but it is it is a bit frustrating because I just love those films, but I know that they just would have they would have got gone all the way, you know, um, if there had been more cohesion between the films and um, a bit more of a, an overall plan. I'm, I feel like I'm, say, you know, stating the obvious here, but uh, that's it really. All right. Um, I don't really like to talk about rumors and stuff because there's just so much junk out there. Um, there are, of course, sites that you, once you've been um, part of the Star Wars community long enough, you know that it's worth they're worth listening to. And one thing that has come through on a couple of um, sites that uh, do, you know, actually try to <laughs> report things that are actually happening. Um, spoilers for the potential, no, it's not even really spoilers, but anyway, potential spoilers for the Andor series. There are two characters that have been rumored to be turning up in the series, and those are Saw Gerrera and, um, it's funny, I just, I just think of him as Mendo, but, uh, Director Krennic, Australians know Ben Mendelsohn as Mendo, um, that's great news. I'm telling you, man. I think people are really underestimating that show. I just, I can just imagine it's going to be a cranker. I really think it is. And uh, if we we have characters like these two showing up, that's not going to hurt. So that's fun. Um, I think last episode I mentioned that you know I uh, so I'm I've started to get into making uh, some Star Wars costumes for myself, and that I would get into a bit more detail on that. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm basically putting together three outfits. Um, I guess four, really. Um, so one of them is... So, you know, the lightsaber I have, is it's not a replica. There are certain big differences, but it, it basically looks very much like Luke's Episode Six saber. Um, and you know, I, I, one of the things kind of looks I wanted to put together was something very close to Luke's episode six look, 
Um, I have my cheap and cheerful um, robe with the hood. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Um, and um, yeah, I got certain bits of black clothing and whatever. So um, yeah, that's one thing. It's the the kind of like all in black Jedi Knight look with the uh, green lightsaber. So that's a really fun one to wear. Um, now, because it's all black, and even like, I, don't, I think, you know, in Return of the Jedi, Luke's robe is brown, actually. And of course, he's got the white inside the flap of that tunic. Um, but, you know, because of all the black in the costume, of course, it's uh, no difficulty whatsoever to... <laughs> Just change a couple of details and change and change your change the saber font and off you go. You've got yourself a uh, a Sith outfit, so that's really fun. Um, yeah, uh, what's an okay? So that's I guess you can count them as two. Um, and then I have two more uh, like kind of more Jedi looking kind of ones. Um, one of them is kind of a like Ep4 Luke look, uh, like a deserty kind of sandy look. I mean, two of the things that I've really been super pumped that I, I found on Tradera recently was um, these two ponchos. One of them is um, uh, this kind of darker brown one, which I'll talk about with the next costume. But one of them is this like very simple, just you just flop it around your shoulders and it's like a kind of cream, cream on one side and um, more of a, a brown on the other. Um, but man, I've come to realize I do love a poncho. <laughs> I'm a poncho loving guy. I've got three of them now. Um so yeah, the sandy one. Um, I got you know classic. I just bought a karate top. You know, actually I got a black one for the black outfit, and I got a white one for the sandy outfit. And I did what's called tea staining, where you um, brew up a bunch of tea. You put like about ten tea bags in a pot full of water, and then you chuck the clothes in. And um, yeah, I soaked them overnight in that, and uh, yeah, it gives you a bit more of a kind of like vintage color instead of being it being like super fresh crisp white you get a bit more of a vintage uh, color to it and because it's a pretty like um <laughs> b grade way to dye something it doesn't dye um in a kind of like even color it's um it's kind of blotchy and, you know, slightly different colors in different spots. And um, something that happened for me is like one of the tea bags broke and where the tea, actual tea leaves touched the uh, the top, it, would, it created these quite dark stains. It looks awesome. Like it really, like uh, there's still a lot of weathering that I can do to it, but that as a baseline bit of weathering really worked. Like it looks a lot better than it did already. Um, yeah, so that was nice. You know, I'm like just getting started with this this stuff and it's nice that that worked out um, straight out the gate. So with that one, I've got these 
yeah, like uh, these kind of uh, goggles that I bought on Amazon that I'm then I kind of wrapped. You know, the strap is like just a pretty normal piece of like, um, you know, a kind of elasticized headband kind of thing, uh, which doesn't look very from a galaxy far, far away. So one of the things I got on Tradera a while ago that I've just felt like was like, I bought it for a certain reason. It didn't work for that, but I was like, I need to use it somewhere. It basically was a, a, le a belt that was just like a piece of suede. And, um, so I ended up using that to wrap around the, uh, the headband on the, on the goggles. And that turned out really cool. That looks good. Um, I need to weather those up, get a bit of dirt and kind of like get, get a bit of a nail file on them, on them to like rough them up a bit and see if I can find an, an oil stain somewhere to rub them in or whatever. That's something I've noticed, like. Because like cars are made better these days, you don't see so many like oil stains in. Yeah, I, it's, maybe I'm wrong on that. But anyway, um, so I've got yeah, so I've got the the basically the karate top. I've got a long sleeved like turtleneck that can go under there in colder weather, which is a really perfect color. Um, I got I got one pair of I thought beige pants, but when they arrived, they were much more of a brown bit of a baby poo brown color. So I was like, ah, I can work with this, but maybe I can do better. And I found some more like a, yeah, like a light beige or almost gray colored pair of jeans that turned up and yep, they are, they're good. I think they're good. Um, again, they can do with a bit more weathering and then they're going to look better. Um, uh, the shoes I got ages ago, not ages ago, a few months ago, I guess. Um, and they're a really good, um, yeah, suede kind of boot. And what I want to do is find some suede that's the same color and then do the leg wrappings a la Luke in episode four. Um, yeah, I did a bit of research on those and, uh, it's, it's possible. Like I thought that I would probably wrap them on a, like a tube sock or something, cut the foot off the tube sock and then wrap it on the leg part and then glue it on there or something just to make my life easier to slip on and slip off. Um, but I did see a tutorial about how to do, how to wrap them properly. Um, so I'm thinking I'll give that a shot, give it a couple of goes if it works. Great. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, maybe I'll try this glue, hot glue approach. We'll find out, um, but I gotta get my hands on some suede and cut cut these uh, leg wraps out of them, and yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, what else? Oh yeah, that's got uh, I got a, like a, a leather, I bought a leather. It's an already quite weathered looking leather wristband that is again a kind of like creamish kind of color. It's like the paint on it is crackling. I want to glue some stuff, some greeblies, as they say, to that to make that into like a communicator. But yeah, you put all, all this together with uh, the poncho and uh, to me, it really works. And then my last costume that I'm working on is, again, a Jedi kind of thing, but it's going to be based on like basically like black, black jeans, black top. But um, so um, my friend Sophia, she gave me this, this belt with these that was kind of like 
combination of belt and pouches, basically. Like it's like a beltish kind of thing made out of four pouches. And I always really liked it, but it there was something about when I put it on that didn't didn't quite work. It was a bit too symmetrical or something. And I also, when I was like hanging out with her in Stockholm, I bought this really nice quality belt. Uh, but something about it, something the color or the width of it, or I don't know what, but it never really worked for me. Like, I don't, you know, when I would put it on, I just would like something about this isn't working right. So I don't know. Like, I think that it was purely that those two things happened to be in the, basically the same color leather. Um, but. Uh, I just, you know, buckled them together and then tried wrapping them both around my waist. And, you know, you can buckle one to the other and then buckle the two ends of that at the end. And bam, looks amazing. Like the, the symmetricality is gone. Um, the way it's, you know, it's got that, uh, that, that roguish kind of um, slightly messy look to it, which is perfect. Um, that turned out great. So um, that's really fun. So I've got, yeah, that stuff. I've got that thing on. And then um, my, the other poncho, which is this like heavier. It's not wool. It's some other fake kind of material, I guess. But it's a heavier kind of poncho. And it, it it's built with a like a thick, heavy turtleneck to it for want of a better word like uh, and it's almost like um yeah it's you basically got a like a, a a thick warm scarf built into the poncho in a way anyway that looks super good too and then what i can do with that one is to um when i do that one i still use the goggles with the that i wrap the suede around but i chuck them around my neck for a bit of that um Kenobi mythos look. Mm. Um, I also got this shawl that I'm. It, it's like almost the right color, but it's a bit salmony or something because it, it's kind of beige. But if you, when you put it next to other browns and creams, it really starts to look have this salmon pink look to it. So I'm gonna tea um, tea stain just a, a bit of it to see how it reacts to the tea and see if I can fix that because. That's nice to have uh, wrapped around your head if you're out when it's cold. Mm. But those ponchos, like I think once the weather turns cold again, I'm going to start, I'm going to be wearing them just as like real clothes. I love that stuff. Um, yeah. And so I keep like, because I've been really into it, I, you know, I'm talking about it with people and I'm kind of, embarrassed i guess because it's quite dorky <laughs> to be running around in the forest um especially after being like very briefly pursued by security guards <laughs> that first night i went out um and i'm kind of i'm trying to like not apologize for it in a way because like it's fun i like it I really like it. So, like, what have I got to apologize for? Like, I'm not hurting anyone. It's fun. Uh, is it dorky? Yes. Uh, do I 
have a bloody good time doing it? Yes. So, um, yeah. So I have been out in the forest with my lightsaber four, five times at this point. And um, yeah, after that first one, I felt a bit self-conscious. But I'm, I'm starting to shake that off um, a bit more uh, as I go and having fun again with it. And I can't even remember I talked about this last episode. Hmm. One of the good things about having a, a a podcast called Styles Fun for Everyone, especially me, is that you can just talk about things again and again if that's what you feel like doing. But um, yeah, I've I've started putting together. So anyone who's done like traditional martial arts of any kind, you've probably done forms. Um, so I've actually started creating my own forms for lightsaber uh like i mean it's been 20 years at least since i was doing martial arts last you know um so i'm pretty rusty of course but uh yeah a lot of those you know the positions and the footwork and everything is kind of in my muscle memory and um it's really satisfying like i really love it i've missed martial arts really like a lot and um this is a fun way to do it in a way where I like, cause of my back problems, like I, I don't think I can really go to do karate or like Taekwondo or Kung Fu anymore. Um, but this is a way for me to do something similar and do it out in nature, which I love, you know, any time spent out in nature is, you know, time well spent. And I'm kind of involved in a, like a kind of very like a active way with Star Wars. So it's I I'm loving it actually. Um, um yeah, I so these boots that I bought, the riding boots that I was hoping would give me that perfect Ep6 Luke look. Um they may or may not be the right size, but the opening to the it's in the top is so so tight that I've yet to found anyone find anyone even like you know, people significantly shorter than me with much smaller feet than me like no, no one's been able to even get their leg in um so my lovely friends amanda and peter have a, have uh because amanda makes um she works with leather she does custom made uh leather jackets and belts and all and stuff like that and um so she's gonna actually cut into them so we can at least get them on and then see how they look with the cut in them but and then like work with it to hide that if we have to yeah um so would be nice if they fit they look a little bit small um but let's see what happens um because it would be really not like if you're gonna do especially the f6 luke look it just really would finish off the look perfectly but let's see what happens um all right. I think I would like to jump into a bit of, um, you know, I'm still uh, on my way through J.W. Rinsler's The Making of Return of the Jedi um, and loving it, as with all his making of books. Um, it's really like the level of detail is bonkers. So, uh, yeah, we're going to jump in and I'm going to, yeah, read some recent highlights and uh, have a talk about them. Here we go. So, um, 
I I think like one of the the biggest highlights of this book so far for me has been um, a transcript of a recording of uh, a like a, I think it's called a story meeting, and at the story meeting are George Lucas, uh, script writer Lawrence Kasdan, director Richard Marquand, um, producer Howard Kazanjian. Yeah, that was it. Those four folks. And they're literally just um, sitting there, like, uh, working out the story. And um, it's pretty fascinating. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff. You know, like, crazy stuff where you go, like, really? Like, they they didn't have that worked out from the very beginning? That's bonkers, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to read just one section of it. Um, now, obviously, there are four people involved in the conversation, potentially. So I'm going to, like, say their names each time it switches to the next person talking. So uh, in this part, they're talking about the end of the film. About the throne room, basically. I think originally there was some kind of machine involved that gets mentioned. But anyway, let's do it. Let's take a listen to this. Kasdan. The trick is to get Luke to trick the Emperor into foiling his own scheme at the same moment that Darth is killing him. Lucas. I'm just saying that if Vader picked up the Emperor and threw him into the machine, it would blow up the machine and at the same time kill the Emperor. So that they both kill each other. Up to that point, it could work. Kasdan, right. Lucas. If the Emperor does pull out a secret weapon, and the weapon is working, and they wipe out half the fleet, it becomes even more intense. I think they're actually... I think this is before um, they had decided on a second Death Star. So they're talking about some kind of death machine. Uh, To continue, Lucas. Then Vader knocks the Emperor into the gun, and he is killed by his own gun, and in the process the gun blows up in a big explosion. Luke is alright, Vader is coming apart. I think it would be great for Luke to try to help Vader while the thing is blowing up, and then Vader gets his cape caught in the door. I love that, I love that mental image. And says, leave without me, and Luke takes his mask off. The mask is the very last thing. And then Luke puts it on and says, Now I am Vader. Surprise! The ultimate twist. Now I will go and kill the fleet and I will rule the universe. Kasdan. That's what I think should happen. Lucas. No, 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 no. Come on, this is for kids. Kasdan. I think you should kill Luke and have Leia take over. Lucas. You don't want to kill Luke. Kasdan. Okay, then kill Yoda. Lucas. I don't want to kill Yoda. You don't have to kill people. You're a product of the 1980s. You don't go around killing people. It's not nice. Kasdan. No, I'm not. I'm trying to give the story some kind of an edge to it. Lucas. I know you're trying to make it more realistic, which is what I tried to do when I killed Ben, but I managed to take the edge off it, and it's what I tried to do when I froze Han. But this is the end of the trilogy, and we've already established that there are real dangers. I don't think we have to kill anyone to prove it. Kasdan. No one has been hurt. Lucas. Ben and Han. They've both... Uh, Luke got his hand cut off. Kasdan. 
Ben and Han are fine. Luke got a new hand two cuts later. Lucas, by killing somebody, I think you alienate the audience. Kasdan, I'm saying that the movie has more emotional weight if someone you love is lost along the way. The journey has more impact. Lucas, I don't like that and I don't believe that. Kasdan, well, that's all right. Lucas, I have always hated that in movies when you go along and one of the main characters gets killed. This is a fairy tale. You want everybody to live happily ever after, and nothing bad happens to anybody. Kasdan. I hate it when characters get killed too. Lucas. Oh, you do? Kasdan. I do. Lucas. I resent it. And I resented it when I was a little kid. I would watch and there would be these five guys and one of them would be the funny clown and halfway through one of them gets killed. Why did they kill the lead? He was the best character. Marquand. I felt that about Ben the first time I saw Star Wars. Kasdan. But that one worked like crazy. Lucas. Yes, I know, but we've done that. The same thing with Han. The biggest reaction we got when people asked... Uh, the biggest reaction we got was when people asked, How can you leave the movie half-finished? Well, the main thrust of this one is that it has to be fun. Kasdan. All of our material here is not fun. <laughs> Lucas. Well, I know we've got it. we've got the serious side, Kasdan. We have a lot of grim stuff here, Lucas. Well, that's why we have to concentrate on the fun, Kasdan. There isn't much fun stuff. There is the Jabba stuff, Lucas. That's fun, Kasdan. And the Ewok stuff, and that's it, Lucas. There are three parts in to, uh, three parts to the movie: Jabba, the Ewoks, and Luke and the Emperor. Luke and the Emperor are not fun, and the other two are. I think that we can roll along with the fun parts and still have the, this undercurrent of a fairly serious study of father and son and good and, the, good and evil. The whole concept of the original film is that Luke redeems his father, which is the classic fairy tale. A good father, bad father, who the good son will turn back into the good father. We can have a serious line and still have a fairly light film. The whole point of the film, the whole emotion that I am trying to get at the end of this film is for you to be real uplifted emotionally and spiritually and feel absolutely good about life. That is the greatest thing that we could possibly ever do. Oh, I love that. Like, it's really interesting to um, to hear George and uh, Larry Kasdan kind of knuckle this out basically you know to try to you know like Lawrence Kasdan is saying we need uh, yeah we need a death in the film to create stakes of some kind and Lucas is saying he, he doesn't like that idea and never has but I think that that part at the end especially like say what you want about George and I've said some things myself um, I think he was dead right about this um, I love how uplifting and what a happy ending Return of the Jedi is. I think it's a big part of why Star Wars is, you know, has such warm memories for people. Um, yeah, so that I, that's a really interesting exchange. Actually, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm up in, in the book. I'm up to where they're just on the verge of uh, beginning pr uh, principal photography. 
And they're talking about, you know, the the script revisions that are happening. And a lot of the, you know, I, I was under the mistaken um, impression that basically, you know, George came up with the overall story, handed it to Kasdan, who then um, actually wrote the script. And the reason why the dialogue for those films is great and the dialogue for the prequels is not great is that George didn't write the dialogue in Empire or Jedi. Um, it turns out I'm dead wrong. Um, uh, George was still contributing a lot of dialogue to Return of the Jedi. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, like... I guess I, I have felt frustrated with George Lucas in some ways because of uh, the prequels and special editions and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, he is the man, the maker. And uh, he's the one we have to thank for all of this. So, yeah, it's great to give him some props there. All right, let's take a look. Um, this was an interesting little point. There's a scene... So... I, like a lot of people, are always talking about how amazing the special effects are in the original trilogy and how, more or less, like, they st still stand up today, which is a bloody miracle, man. <laughs> like, they did an incredible job. Um, now, there are a couple of scenes where I think things could have been better. Um, and there's one scene in particular in Return of the Jedi when it's... It's when they're all about to head off uh, into that, you know, final act of the film, and Han is talking to Lando, and um, it's that whole like, take her. She's the fast, fastest ship in the fleet. Um, not a scratch. Will you get going, you old pirate? That that exchange. Um. They are so obviously standing in front of a map painting. <laughs> like, it doesn't look real at all. Um, and I've always kind of thought, like, it's a bit unfortunate that, um, that that sequence doesn't really come off visual effects-wise. Anyway, I read this part and it made me think, are they talking about that sequence? So they're talking about the budget for stuff and how, you know, everything, of course, turns out more expensive than you think it's going to. Um, you know, they're talking, uh, Kazanjian is heavily involved here as the producer. Um, he says, uh, yeah, this, let's, let's read this part. Kazanjian, you have to think about, uh, you have to think in terms of money all the time, he says. At one point, we were going to move the Millennium Falcon from the big Star Wars stage to another location for a scene. But when I told George that was going to cost $40,000, he said, let ILM paint it in. So it became a blue screenshot. I don't think anyone will realize it's a painting when they see it in the movie. But you have to know when to forget about the budget and spend more money on the set. Now, that scene, I'm guessing... If you saw in the cinema in 1983, lo probably looked just fine. Um, the the quality of projection and everything was not at all what it is today. Um, 
and of course, you know, it's a it's a movie. They had no like home video really at the time, so people were watching it. It was flying past at a great pace, and then they went home. Um, so they didn't have the chance to really sit there and obs- obsessively pour over every single shot. Um, so I'm sure he was right for you know what what the world was like at the time. But um, yeah, I wonder if he's talking about that shot. All right. <laughs> so I sometimes. Um, you know, people have used uh, some... There have been, you know, actors in the sequel trilogy who have perhaps felt less than 100% pumped about their experience. Or they've had some opinions about the films themselves. Um, and people kind of, well, see, that means everything sucks. He said this, you know. I just... i got a couple of things here. This is actually about... Um, Peter Mayhew, also known as Chewbacca. Um, I mean, he's like everybody's favorite dude, you know, but listen to this. Um, Peter Mayhew met with stunt coordinator Peter Diamond to examine new crossbows. After Empire, a film which he'd found, quote-unquote, mediocre, (laughs) Mayhew hadn't returned to his hospital job as he had after Star Wars. Mediocre. <laughs> Peter Mayhew found The Empire Strikes Back mediocre. Huh. It's generally considered not not just possibly the best Star Wars film of all time, but one of the best films of all time. And Chewie found it mediocre. So, I would say, if someone or other didn't, 100% like this or that in a movie. That doesn't mean that movie's not great. Um, here's a, more evidence of this. This is uh, Richard Marquand. Um, you ready? Marquand. I hated the costumes of Empire. <laughs> Marquand continues. I couldn't believe the way Princess Leia was dressed in Cloud City. It was a disgrace. This beautiful girl in this terrible brown and white outfit. It was just a joke. The interesting thing about George is he thinks the costumes should be neutral so that you don't really look at them. But you need to look at them if they're going to say something special. Like Princess Leia's outfit on Jabba's barge. It's a great costume. It's outrageous to dress like that. I always thought that Carrie was a very sexy girl, so we came up with this thing. Well... She was very embarrassed to try it on the first time, which is not surprising. <laughs> what? Hmm. So, Richard Marquand, the director of Return of the Jedi, thought the uh, the costumes in The Empire Strikes Back were terrible. A joke, even. It's quite funny because these days... A lot of people are kind of a bit um, critical of Princess Leia's um, slave outfit and um, would be very um, 
very appreciative and supportive of everything she wore in, Empire, in the Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, it's just fun. You know, with, like those, the films are so great and their legacy is so incredible that it's impossible to think that the people involved in making them could be anything but um, 100% thrilled and uh, overjoyed with everything about them. But uh, not the case, of course. All right. I think it's time for Guess That Sound. Hmm. All right. This is number 21. Let's see what let's see what it is. See if I can guess what that sound is. Here we go. Damn it. I know that's hang on. I know that sound, hang on. Oh, it's something, it's like some kind of um, like a control console sound, I think. Like on the, on the Death Star or something, hang on. Oh, it's like, I, I know it, but I just don't know it. Let's see what it says here. Mm -mm -mm. Oh my god. Have we had this one before, maybe? Because I'm just picking them at random. This is Aunt Baru's um, food processor. <laughs> awesome. All right. Let's pick another. Let's see where we get. Okay. Here we go. Number 35. That is just a... Um, you know, one of the uh, cantina aliens, but I wonder if this says specifically which one it is. Let's listen again. I don't think I'm going to get exactly which one it is. But it's one of the cantina aliens. Oh, yeah, it's that, like, uh, Trandoshan-looking dude. He's like a pink-faced Trandoshan. Hmm. It's good to know. All right, let's try another one. 54. Oh, I think we've had this one before. Super annoying. Um, that is, I believe, the Falcon's, like, warning sound, you know, when they're being pursued. Yes, that's correct. Let's pick another sound. 84. I think we've had. Am I? Am I get? Am I picking this, like the same? I think that's a, a Y wing. I think we've had this one before. I get the feeling like maybe I have like a natural kind of like attraction to certain numbers, and so I just end up picking the same ones, but by accident. Hang on. Where is it? Eighty-four. What? Hmm. It says the silence is broken by a TIE fighter. Hmm. I guess it's like during the... Oh, well, yeah. Okay, well, there's the sound at the end. Yeah, okay, but it's. I think it's like 
you're getting X wings and then like tie pursuit, uh, or yeah, or you're getting like uh, yeah, like shots inside the cockpit. Let's try one thirty six. Ah, good. New acquisitions. You are a protocol droid, are you not? I am C three PO. Yes or no will do. (laughs) Well, yes. How many languages do you speak? I am fluent in over six million forms of communication. Splendid. We have been without an interpreter. All right, I'm going to stop it there. That's EV ninety nine in the uh, in the uh, dungeons of Jabba's palace. Here we go. Let's do just one more. One twenty. I think I feel pretty safe in saying that that is Dagobah. But let's double check. Let's take a look. Yes. Yes, it is. Great stuff, Tom. Nice ears on you, mate. All right, let's watch some solo. So we're actually getting pretty close to the end of the movie, which is a bit sad because I've really had fun looking back at solo. Um, Saverine. We're on Saverine. We've got... uh, Han trying to convince Beckett to do the right thing here. You know, I I've been seeing quite a lot of like uh, it's really nice to see a lot a lot more like um, make solo two happen type stuff. You know, I, to me the appreciation and enthusiasm for the film far like surpasses any like negative stuff I see about it these days um yeah I think uh I think we're gonna see I think we're gonna see Alden back and I really hope we do I swear to god the only thing that doesn't for me doesn't work about his version of Han He's not tall enough. <laughs> That's the only thing. I mean, I'm big on uh, getting silhouettes right. I think you think you've heard me say that before. Um, and there are shots where he doesn't quite evoke Han Solo just because he's not tall enough. Um, but otherwise, he's a uh, he's just so good. I think he's fantastic. And we've got Emphas Nest here. Man, I hope we get to see her again soon. (laughs) What's on Tatooine? I remember that line. That line was used in the in the uh, trailer a lot, and it was. yeah, kind of misleading. I think a lot of people are like, oh my god, we're going to see Jabba or something, you know, which of course was not the case. Mm. Look at that shot. That's beautiful. Again, if you didn't go see Soul in the cinema, I'm not having a go at you, but you are. It's your fault that we haven't had a follow up already. <laughs> Only half joking there. All right. So we've got 
Han and Kira. Chewie is um, dutifully doing the heavy lifting. Heavy lifting. Han, man, that gun belt looks good. We're going to talk gun belts at the pretty soon because guess what? I got a gun belt heading my way. And I really like, like, Amelia, like, when people criticize Amelia Clark's acting skills, like, I know what they're talking about. Um, but I just think, like, for example, when she played Daenerys, this, it's a very serious character dealing with pretty heavy stuff. And. Mm, but uh, the fact that, like, this character is a bit more, like, um, a bit lighter or more fun, I think it really suits her. Man, these outfits are 10 out of 10 outfits. Look at Dryden Voss. That, that belt is sick. That top, like, the the unsymmetrical cape. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Color Clawfish, this was an episode one reference, which I totally missed. I, I don't care about those fish in episode one. Ah, speaking of episode one, I've kind of been flicking them, flicking my way through it. I enjoy, I enjoy that movie like with the sound off because you don't have to think about the, the dialogue or anything. And there are a lot of visuals that look like classic Star Wars visuals. Ah, uh, you know, Dryden Voss, he does a good um, gentlemanly but extremely menacing kind of vibe. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that jacket of Hans. It's a nice jacket. I bet they... Got produced somewhere, somewhere, somehow. Got the DL-44 packed in the roof of that thingamajig. We got the coaxium. We got the, the gun belt looking good. He's really menacing. He's good, you know. <laughs> and uh, Amelia Clark does a good job of selling the kind of like, you know, knowing, being nervous since she knows what he knows what he's capable of. Well, oh, here it comes. Well, 
Here comes this is classic Western stuff, isn't it? Here comes the standoff. I was I don't know who I was expecting. I was thinking like maybe Boba Fett was was gonna walk through that door or maybe Infus Nest would have like sold him out or something. I wasn't expecting Beckett actually. So good twist. I love Woody Har Harrelson. It's, sometimes people act like they're surprised that he's good in stuff, but I'm like, when is he not being good? I think a lot of people watched a lot of Cheers, and they're like a bit like it's hard for them to see him in other roles. But I never watched Cheers, so I just I don't know. I think everything I've seen him in, he's been like really good. Man. Ah, this scene is killer. Look at the Cloud Riders. I mean, come on. This is a billion percent Star Wars. This is so good. I love Emphasis Nest and that Cloud Bike. Dryden's angry lines are showing up. That's a good Han look there from Alden as well. Mm. <laughs> the red, the red eyes and stuff. It's really good. Hmm. Ah, see, look at. Ah, yeah. Dada, the coaxium's actually in there with them. Oh my god. <laughs> This little action scene is killer. Yes, you get that, like, Rodian. You get two tubes, brother. You get fucking Weasel. I finally learned his name. His name's not Wallet. <laughs> Come on. Bring back Emphasis Nest and the Cloud Riders now, please. You got the outfits already. Man. All right. I'm going to pause it there just before the next like big action scene kicks off. Yeah, no, I was just saying before, like... Um, I'm not a huge fan of episode one, but I've been just kind of having it playing on the laptop while I've been doing other stuff just to have some styles imagery floating past, you know, and um, there's stuff that really doesn't look like Star Wars to me, but there's stuff that looks really Star Wars to me. And there are some banger scenes like that, that sequence when, uh, when Maul first goes after Qui-Gon when he's like bringing Anakin back on uh, Tatooine and Maul like he almost runs Anakin over and then 
flips off the speeder bike and manages to like swing at Qui-Gon while he's upside down and in mid-air. Like he can't even wait to get his feet on the ground before like going after Qui-Gon Jin. It's so damn cool, man. Whew. What a sequence. All right. But um I have to say, like, I mean I'm enjoying the bad batch and um I know that this is potentially the last long stretch we'll ever have without uh, more, you know, new live action, action Star Wars when you consider all the projects that are coming up. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling impatient. I really want those shows to, to kick off. And I understand, like, there's a chance we get vi uh, Visions before the end of the year. Not sure yet. Uh, but of course, we get the Book of Boba Fett in December. And I'm just like, come on. Is it December yet? Hmm. All right. But folks, thank you for listening. I hope you're uh, enjoying your Star Wars good times yourselves. Um, I am your host, Tom Sutton, and this is Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. Hey!